The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. I'm actually going to talk about money, not by talking about money, but with the, the reality that you probably don't carry cash or checks around. Um, but a few weeks ago, if you were here, you got to hear about this exciting project that we're doing, which is, is a new home for university ministries just across the, the street. We'll continue to uh, meet here uh, if, on Tuesday nights, but our hangout space, our home for so many other things is going to be this house across the street. And if you want, uh, there it is, there's a picture of it. There's the current house and there's what we're going to do to it. And hopefully we're going to start on this project relatively quickly, like say in the next month or two. And I want to invite you to contribute to it, that this church and friends of university ministries have already ponied up over a million and a half dollars to make this happen. Okay, it's pretty cool. So what I'm asking you to do is to do what you can in participating uh, in this. We gather each Tuesday uh, to be together, you get the opportunity to, to interact with our interns, maybe have a slice of pizza. Uh, and we, we don't take an offering here, but I am, am going to invite you to contribute. And so one way that you could do that is through this thing called PushPay. Uh, PushPay, if you want to text 7797 um, and text UPC to 77977, uh, you'll get a link back that will, that will walk you through the process on how you give. There's a drop-down menu, select UMIN Mission, and then in the memo line, you can put pizza or you men house or something like that. And know that uh, truly every, every $1, every $5, every, every $25 matters here. So uh, give what you can uh, joyfully. But I invite you to participate in helping to make this new home for university ministries a reality. Okay. Uh, what did I want to be when I was six? Um, I wanted to be, honestly, I wanted to be a football player. And I know that as you guys look at my, my hulking physique out there, you're really shocked that I didn't become a football player. But I was really into sports growing up, uh, played a, a lot of soccer as a kid, played a little bit of baseball. But one of the things that I, really, I remember from, from playing sports as a kid you know, is that, is that when you're really young, all your games are like, you know, during the day, you know, it, right around lunchtime or just after lunch. But as, uh, I, I don't know, it must have been around about the time I was 10, 12 years old, it was really special when my games were played under the lights. There was something really special about getting to play under the lights. You know, maybe it was because we saw our heroes, or I got to see the, the people that, that as a six-year-old, I kind of idolized on TV playing under the lights. That There was just something about it that made me feel a little bit bigger. It made you feel a little bit more significant, right? It was special to get to have those games where you somehow got to feel like it must be to be back in the, the early 80s. Steve Largent, who was a Seahawk wide receiver, who's in the Hall of Fame, by the way, okay? He always got to play under the lights. So I, when I got to play under the lights, I felt like I was Steve Largent. What are those things that maybe you did where you were, you were, were trying to just chase that feeling of being a little bit bigger? or being under those lights that just made you feel a little bit more significant, made you feel like what you were doing mattered just a little bit more. 
Well, we continue this week in a series that we've started where we are remembering the character of God by examining what Jesus says about himself, primarily through these seven special phrases that Jesus starts by saying, I am. And then he gives us an image. For those of you that were here last week, you got to hear Bailey give a great talk about Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. A message where we got to hear about how God in Jesus Christ seems to have a personal stake in providing for you and in, in, in the, the welfare of a flock, which is us. Well, this week we continue that series of looking at these I am statements by going back to the very first of the I am statements, where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Before we get started with that task, I want to, uh, to pray for us as we come to, to the word. God, would, would you make what we are about to read a reality? To the degree that we are, are tempted to make this abstract, would you help us make it real and make it real in our lives? We want, we want to see how this is true. So meet us in this place as we come to your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, one thing I want you to know before we start reading this text is that in the Gospel of John, it's a, it's a very personal gospel. It's one of these where it feels like if, to go back to my sports images here, if the other three gospels are these cameras that are kind of mounted on, you know, above the field, the Gospel of John is that camera that's right down on the field that kind of gets to zoom in on some things. Well, in this gospel, the big question that everybody is trying to answer is really, who is this Jesus anyway? Whether it's Jesus' closest friends, the disciples that are trying to figure this out, whether it's somebody who comes to him in the middle of the night in John 3, when we get the, the beloved for, for God so loved the world passage, we meet a man named, named Nicodemus, also trying to figure out who Jesus is. Well, tonight what we come to, we come to a group that many of you are familiar with. They're called the Pharisees, these kind of hyper-religious people, these people that were really serious about pursuing God. And they are, again, coming to find out, so who is this guy anyway? And I want to suggest that no matter if you have been following Jesus your whole life or whether this is a new examination for you, it's the right question for us to be asking as we gather in this place every week. Who is this guy? And why, why does it matter? Why does it matter for me? Why does it matter for our world? Okay, so keep that in mind as we read through the first of the I am statements tonight. Now, we're going to begin in John chapter 8, and we're going to start at verse 12. And I want, as, as this comes up, I want us to read this out loud together. We don't usually do this here at the end, but I want, I want us to read this first verse together. All right, you ready? Here we go. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now stop. Listen to what you just said. Think about this. Weigh it for a second. Do you believe it? Why? Do you not? Why? 
what do you hear in this promise? I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. How do you feel about that? What do you hear? Pay attention to it. Now, as you do that, let me tell you what the people hearing this in the first century might have thought. As Jesus would have said, I am. These Pharisees, these people who are eagerly and earnestly seeking God, would have been jogging their memories and thinking back to when Moses came face to face with this one that he learned was Yahweh. And he says, what is your name? And he says, I am who I am am. I am who I am. When that same Moses says, what shall I, who shall I, I tell these people sent me? Tell them, I am sent you. Jesus is in starting this phrase by saying, I am. He's saying, I am not just any old homeboy that's standing in front of you. I am something different. I am am God. Well, they would have also then, then heard, I am the light of the world. Now, the definitive article here, the light of the world, it's really important that we catch this, that what Jesus is not saying, he's not saying, I'm a light among many lights. He's saying, I am the light of the world. Now, this, this is a claim that, that would have made those people hearing it a little bit uncomfortable. Is he really saying this? Uh, and perhaps it makes us a little bit uncomfortable too. In a very pluralistic, a very tolerant society, anytime we hear an absolute like this, it makes us a little bit uncomfortable. Really? Not just a light among many, but the light? Yes, this is what Jesus is saying. It's a very exclusive claim. And, and my, my guess is that there's many of you that, that are a little bit uncomfortable with that, which is why we keep reading. Because he then goes on to say, I am the light of the world. Very exclusive claim. I am the light of the world. A very inclusive claim, right? This isn't just for the religious people. This isn't just for the people that, that get it right. I am the light of the world. Now, this is a theme that we're going to develop again a little bit next week, but it's really important that you hear anytime we get these really exclusive claims about Jesus saying, I am God and I am not a light among many lights. I am the light, but I am a light for the world, for everyone. Exclusive claim about Jesus, very inclusive consequences. Hold those things in tension. Let's continue. John 8, 13. The Pharisees, of course, challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Let's stop again right there. There's these things that we come across in our lives, right, where somebody, somebody will make a big claim about something and you're kind of listening to it going, hmm, I don't know about that, Okay. A few years ago, uh, this was, this was, it was late spring, uh, it, was, it was May, 
And I had just started taking seminary classes, and, and me and my wife had traveled up to Whistler, BC, and I needed to get some studying done. So I said, you know, I'm going to go down to the, the lobby of this hotel, have a coffee, and read a little bit. And, and as I sat down and started reading, and at one point I picked my eyes up, and right in front of me is this woman that I know, and maybe, maybe many of you know as Uma Thurman, okay? She's an actress, Okay, she was, you know, she was she was came to fame uh, back in my era, the movie called Pulp Fiction. But I was like, wow, that's Uma Thurman right there. And uh, you know, I mean, it really was Uma Thurman. Well, as I like to tell this story, you know, it usually continues with me saying something along the lines of, you know, so I'm sitting there minding my own business, and Uma Thurman's right there in front of me, and then like she's she totally starts giving me eyes. Like, I was, I was kind of embarrassed. I'm like, I'm like going, Uma, hey, I, sorry, but I'm a one-woman guy. Sorry, Uma, okay? Now, I, I mean, I know. I can see the guys looking at each other going, oh, yeah, you know, I, I could see. You know, church has got broad shoulders. That probably happened, Okay. Um, but I'll, I'll just say, you should probably be a little bit suspect of that story. The Uma Thurman part I'm here to tell you is absolutely true. Okay, the whole part about her giving me eyes and, you know, that whole thing and me having to point at my ring. No, that's not true. I made that up, okay? Sometimes you need the testimony too. I don't know if there's any golfers in the house, but one of the worst things that can happen if you're a golfer is for you to have a hole in one while you're playing by yourself. Okay, because, hey, you guys, you're never going to believe this. I had a hole in one. Oh, yeah? Well, well who saw it? Well, I was by myself. Yeah, I bet you had a hole in one. The, one of the worst, there's been times where I've hit shots playing by myself, and it's tracking. I'm going, oh, please don't go in. It would be torturous. That's the argument that the Pharisees are making right here. Hey, you can't just say, I am the light of the world, and just make that claim without any testimony to it. Now, Last week, if you remember, when, when Bailey talked about the shepherd, he says, I am the good shepherd. And then there were several, uh, several things that he said that kind of illustrated this idea of how Jesus is the good shepherd. Well, what follows next doesn't seem to directly address the concern about the light of the world. But he does say something that I think we need to pay attention to. Let's continue and read this. These are John eight fourteen to 19. It says this. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. Because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. Now, in your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness, who's here, is my father who sent me. Okay, Jesus responds to the challenge, quite simply, not by talking about how he is the light and giving us an, an illustration of that, by just but responds to their challenge by saying, oh, you may think I'm alone, but I'm not. Now, why is this significant? 
for us in, in our culture, there is sometimes a temptation for us to look at Jesus and see kind of this rugged individualist, kind of the epitome of a self-made individual, a self-made man. And what Jesus himself is saying right here is going, you know what? I'm not self-made. I am with my father. I don't do anything alone. Even as I stand here right now and you think I'm alone, I am not alone. So we can't see Jesus as this rugged individualist, this kind of crazy individual leader, but instead we see Jesus as someone, perhaps even a leader, who is being led. And then we continue this passage in verses 19 and 20, where it says, then they asked him, okay, well then, where is your father? Jesus responds, you do not know me or my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple court near the place where the offerings were put, yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Now, if you're anything like me, this whole dialogue can seem a bit mysterious, a bit obtuse. It doesn't seem like Jesus totally unpacked. So how are you the light of the world? And how can I totally know that you can be trusted? Now, I think that's by design. I don't think that what happened right here is supposed to be totally resolved as much as it really is an invitation to pay attention, to get to see if in getting to know Jesus, we might get to know the Father. In trying to figure out where Jesus has come from and where he is going, that we might pay attention to that. It isn't intended to be resolved, but it is intended to draw us in. All right, so what? So what do, we, what do we do with all this? What do we do with Jesus saying he's the light of the world? What do we do with him saying he's not alone? What do we do with the fact that this isn't totally resolved? I want to reflect shortly on those three things uh, before we come to the communion table tonight. First, as these remarks happen near the middle of the Gospel of John and near the middle of Jesus' ministry, the invitation is to simply get to know Jesus. And the primary way that we do that is by finding out about who he is in Scripture. Sometimes for us to get to know Jesus more, which is my guess is why many of us, if not all of us, are here, is we want to know Jesus more. So we need to know more about Jesus through the stories that are presented to us in the Scriptures. Read your Bible, folks. It's the way that we get to know Jesus. This is why we continue to hit this nail about the In Bible Challenge. It's an opportunity for us to individually look at who is this Jesus anyway, to hear all these stories about what, what the character of Jesus is, what his works are, what his heart is. That's how we get to know it, and that's how we give ourselves the opportunity to then experience it as something real. 
it might not be totally resolved, but part of what Jesus is doing, I think, here to the Pharisees is saying, pay attention. Pay attention. Keep watching. Keep waiting. And in the process, you will get to know me. And as you get to know me, you'll get to know my Father. Come and see. Come and see if this is true. I'm not, I'm not just going to give you the magic words and I'm going to have it all figured out as much as I'm saying, come closer. Come check it out. Second, because Jesus is not alone, he stands with his Father. I want to argue that makes Jesus more trustworthy. Now, we, at least for me, we love that Jesus is not just a leader that is out there on his own, but that he is one that is being led. And I think about a group of people, and so many of the college students I meet with are asking the big questions about who am I and what in the world am I supposed to do with my life? And is, is God going to help me in this? Can Jesus help me? It feels like I'm, I'm navigating this rugged territory, trying to navigate some trail that I have no idea where it's actually going, trying to get to some mountaintop that is going to have something special for me in it, but I don't quite know what it's all about or how to do it. Let me see if I can, if, if I can help you out like this. Um, I told you earlier about my encounter with Uma Thurman at Whistler. I don't know what it is about Whistler. It's a place where God teaches me a lot of lessons, and usually not through Uma Thurman. But perhaps uh, some of you uh, have been there. There's this, this lift there that goes from one mountaintop to another called the Peak to Peak. And this is, it's, a, it's a really a spectacular piece of engineering. If you've never had the opportunity to ride this lift, Go up to Whistler anytime during the year and, and take a ride on it. And as you, as you traverse this valley, it, it actually feels like you're, you're flying. But think about this for a second, that you're going from one rugged mountaintop to the top of another rugged mountaintop, and somehow you get to do it in about 12 minutes in a pretty smooth ride. Well, when you stop to think about I'm dangling about 3,500 feet above a, a valley on a cable? What? This is kind of crazy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Here's what I want to draw. I want to draw your attention to the very top of the screen here. That there's three cables here. Now, for those of you that are skiers or boarders and you ride a chairlift, you know that you get on a chair and a chair is usually fixed uh, to one cable. Well, in the endeavor that it is to go from one peak to another, the peak-to-peak, -peak, as you can see there, gives you three. The only one that moves is that middle cable. And then there's these other two cables that are there to guide, guide it, and really that are there just in case that first cable fails and just in case that second cable fails. That in order for you to end up on the valley floor in a way that you didn't want to, there needs to be a triple failure of those cables. Now, the idea is that's not going to happen. I want to argue that what happens when Jesus says, I stand here with the Father, is that I really think about it like those two cables. That, that 
when, when, there, it, when it's not just one that holds us, but rather, in this case, it's two. And if we were to, to tease this, this metaphor out a little bit more, I would argue that it's the Holy Spirit that does the animating and, and keeps us moving right on track with Jesus and God the Father. Okay? The result is this, that it makes Jesus, this one standing in front of the Pharisees, just that much more trustworthy. Do you struggle to trust Jesus? In Jesus saying, I stand here with the Father, know that he's making the claim, I'm one you can trust. I am not speaking for myself, but I'm here being led. And there's this this reinforcement that's communicated there. Finally, the light of the world. I am the light of the world. If you checked out at some point, I need you back right now. I am the light of the world. That includes you. There's a lot of people, I believe, that might be in this room going, you know what, that's a great promise and it's for somebody else. But I've been stuck in a darkness that I can't seem to get out of. Maybe it was a darkness that is brought on because of something that you had no control over. A loved one passed suddenly. Uh, Abuse in your past. Maybe it's a darkness that you are beating yourself up over because of decisions that you've made in the past. You need to know tonight that this light of the world is for you. To the degree that you are one who lives in this world, this light is for you. And I want to invite you that if you have, have never said yes to this light as for you, tonight is an opportunity for you to do that. If you are trying to make a change from a sort of prevailing darkness, you can do that tonight because this light is also for you. He is the light of the world. But I also want to recognize that that for many of us, maybe we don't find ourselves stuck in something that we would call deep darkness. But instead, we find ourselves wrapped up in chasing competing lights. Those lights that we talked a little bit earlier about, that, those lights that are somehow supposed to make us feel a little bit bigger, a little bit more significant. We're looking for that spotlight that is placed firmly on us as opposed to that light that illuminates the way for you and for all. What are those competing lights in your life? What's that thing that you're looking for to make you a little bit bigger? Humor me for a second. If you have a smartphone, take it out. Go, go ahead and turn it on. Mine's out of batteries, otherwise I'd show you. But turn it on, and as you do so, just hold it up, okay? 
hold it up, put it in the air. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And as you turn on those phones, just something powered by a battery in your hand. I can, even even now, the room starts to light up. Uh, What I want to remind you of is that of all of the statements that Jesus gave when he said, I am, it is... I am the light of the world is the only one that he also ascribes to us. Did you know that? In Matthew 5, he says, you, you can put your phones down. In Matthew 5, he says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nobody, neither, nobody lights up a light and then puts it under a bowl, but rather they put it on a stand so that it gives light to everyone. In Jesus saying that he is the light of the world, he invites you to find meaning and to find purpose in simply being one who reflects that light. You know, we were able to do a little bit of damage to the darkness as we turned on our smartphones. But what if we were those who simply reflected the light of the one who says, I am the light of the world, much like the moon reflects the light of the sun? For those of us that are searching for what in the world am I supposed to do with my life? What can I do to find meaning and purpose and value in the world? Put this one that says, I am the light of the world to the test. Open yourself up to him. And maybe allow yourself to simply reflect whatever it is that you get back from that great light. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. But it's only because of the one that says, I am the light of the world that we find meaning and purpose in getting to share that light, which is grace and mercy and justice and compassion with a world that desperately needs to know that. With ourselves that desperately need to know that.